Philippians 3.14 refers to the calling, the heavenly calling, with which and in which we've been called upward. Amen. The content of our, of our conference this weekend, the tree of life, saints, is to revolutionize Amen. our relationship with the Lord, to absolutely call us upward, Amen. take us far beyond where we've been in our life with Him before. Amen. So, um, have you all found your uh, outline sheet? Okay, if you could have that before you. Because we have um, a lovely number of uh, saints here who maybe haven't been in the first two sessions, uh, I'll try to give a little review of uh, what we've covered thus far. Tracing steps, but in a bit of a different path. So our general subject is the tree of life. And brothers and sisters, when the Bible nearest beginning in Genesis 2.9 introduces the tree of life, this is and signifies the very God himself, the triune, embodying himself, drawing close to man, to render all that he is to man, to be food and sustenance to him, and to meet his every need. This is God and his intention, as signified and symbolized by the tree of life. And so firstly, as the tree of life, God in Christ has come to us, indwelt us, and is the tree of life dwelling in our spirit. Spirit. And in our spirit as the tree of life, he's food to us. He's food to us. So, to illustrate how wonderful it is that he's food to us, I was recalling how um, uh, sometimes our little ones, our, our children, say, well, when we were growing up, on Monday we would have chicken. On Tuesday, we would have chicken. On Wednesday, we would have chicken. On Thursday, chicken. On Friday, chicken. Saturday, chicken. And on Lord's Day, extra special chicken. <laughs> so, <laughs> we in our family, for certain reasons, ate a lot of chicken. Do you eat chicken? So, here's a question. If you were, had grown up in our family, and someone asked you, hundreds, hundreds, and thousands of chickens, where did those chickens go? Where are those chickens? What became of those chickens? And so, our son or our daughter needs to know, you are a chicken. <laughs> You have become a chicken. They're not hiding. They're not in the backyard. They haven't run away somewhere. But they have been constituted into your fiber to become you. So this silly illustration shows that God's intention 
in coming to us as the tree of life and installing himself within us to be our food and our everything is that he would like to constitute himself into us by feeding us, supplying us, and constituting us to be exactly as he is. And so a praise we could have at the Lord's table this morning is, Lord, thank you for becoming what I am. Thank you for becoming what I am, that I could become what you are. This is the divine intention. And dear brothers and sisters, hallelujah, on this earth, he's got a group of people who are partaking him of, the, as the, of him as the tree of life and are becoming him in life, nature, expression, and function. And we are such persons. Praise the Lord. Now, if we consider our experience, we'd realize that we're different now. We're not the same as we were ten years ago, five years ago, even a year ago, because he's the tree of life to us. But there's something within. Yearning and churning. Lord, Lord, I want more. I need more. I want more of you. And while it's true that this yearning and churning does cause us to come and lay a hold of him as the tree of life, partake of him newly and freshly, and have a new taste, a new nourishment, and a new supply, the Lord knows that if it's just as the tree of life within, he could take us a certain distance and then something would weaken, hold us back, and we would seem to reach a plateau. And so, knowing this, the Lord declared when he, as the tree of life on the earth, had presented himself as food and described himself as food, showing that he was the tree of life. In John 15, 4, the governing verse of our weekend together, he said, Abide in me. As the tree of life, again in the context, of John 15, 1, abide in me as the tree of life and I in you. Because he knew that it wasn't enough for him to become what we are that he could, so that we could become what he is, he also realized that he came to where we are, John 14, 2, to take us to where he is. So, this is another aspect of the experience of the tree of life. An additional aspect of the tree of life, which allows us to break through the ceiling, throw, throw off shackles, 
enter into a new territory of experience. Oh, saints. And this is what, this is what he desires. And he wants us to have a certain sensation about our abiding in him. So we covered that in the last two messages. But another view this morning, let's try to take another view of abiding in him so that he might abide in us. The classic New Testament verse on the God-man living and the life that the Lord wants to have, that wants us to have as his duplication is John 6.57. Where clearly he shows and indicates that as the tree of life, he says, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, he who eats me as the tree of life shall live because of me. So to be his duplication, we do need to eat of him as the tree of life, thereby living because of him. But I'd like to highlight the first few words of this verse. As the living Father sent me, and as I live because of the Father, I'd like to point out that when he came, he didn't just intend that we would live by eating him. We would also live by entering into him to enjoy the kind of sustenance, the kind of glorious life experience that he had in eternity when he was enclosed within God himself, enjoying the Father. So there are some verses in the New Testament that give us a view to the Son with the Father in eternity past and how they were together and how they were together. And the fact is that in in eternity, the Son was moving toward and into the Father and the Father into the Son. So 1 John 1, 2 says, regarding the Lord who is life, he he said, this life was, was as the life he had with the Father. The life he had with the Father. And there the word for with indicates that in eternity, the Son as the life was with the Father in the way of dynamically moving toward and into the Father to enjoy him. In that way, he would like us now to live by him. Moving into him as he was with the Father. Then what was it like for the Son when he was there with the Father? You remember John 17.24, where the Lord, after talking about his desire that they would be one, even as he and the Father were one, he goes on to say that they might be In me, that's us now, that we might be 
in Him that we would sense the glorious situation that He had with the Father. For He says, For Father, as You loved Me before the world began. As You loved Me before the world began. So, His desire was that we would be in Him so that we would sense what He sensed when He was in the Father who was loving Him before the world began. This is to be our experience, which breaks through and takes us beyond simply partaking of the Lord as our sustenance, as our food supply, and as our daily necessities as the tree of life. That he wants us to enter into him, to stay in him, to be in him. Oh, to have our existence in him should draw us, captivate us, excite us. Amen. So, um, Bobby and Don, could you come up here, please? We all know Bobby and Don and love them very much. And so I knew they wouldn't mind my calling on them. So could you come up here, please? So, dear saints, this enactment, what we have here, we have here a couple, a young couple in courtship. A young couple in courtship. And Bobby is courting Don. <laughs> And so, and so now, um, uh, I'm going to lead Bobby in, in his loving expression toward Don. So, Bobby, you repeat after me. Okay. Don, I love you. Don, I love you. Don, I want to be everything to you. Don, I want to be everything to you. Don, I want to be involved in every single thing that you do. Don, I want to be involved in Every single thing that you do. I don't want anything that you do to be apart from me. I don't want anything that you do to be apart from me. Furthermore, I want to enclose you. Furthermore, I want to enclose you. I want to embrace you. Embrace you. I want you to know my being from within. I want you to know my being from within. I want to be everything to you as you are everything to me. Now, I, I realize I should have given Bobby the microphone. Could you hear, could you hear Bobby say? <laughs> okay, now, Don, it's your turn. Okay. Now, Don, what do you think about this? We love it. <laughs> so what do you say to Bobby? Yes, amen. <laughs> amen. Thank you, that's all. Okay. Now, John fifteen four. Abide in me. Abide in me. Is this dialogue. This is the dialogue. Abide in me. The Lord is saying, I love you. I would like to be everything to you. I don't want you to have any of your experiences apart from me, nor me apart from you. 
I'd like to enfold you, enclose you, embrace you, until you and I, and I and you, are absolutely one. And we have our existence mutually, our joy mutually, our fulfillment mutually. So just as Bobby was saying that to Dawn, the Lord, as the speaking spirit, is saying this to you right now. Amen. What do you say? Amen. What do you say? Amen, Amen Lord. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I'm swept off my feet. Lord, I want this too. Lord, I enter into you to abide in you. Oh, saints, he wants us to enjoy with him the loving interaction and interplay that he had with the Father in eternity. Nothing less than that. So when he was about to go to the cross, it wasn't enough for him to realize, I've presented myself to them as the tree of life. I've got to present myself to them as the one who wants to receive them. As the previous chapter said, I'm making a way for you into God. And I'm your way into God. And when you get into God, you're going to be firstly in me. And there, I'm going to be everything to you. Oh, saints, saints, the various subpoints of the outlines that we've had this weekend are to give us the specific way for us to experience and access this. And yes, to say, yes, Don, we say, amen, Lord. <laughs> amen, Bobby. <laughs> so, saints, I hope, I hope you sense the Lord's feeling regarding this. He's filled. He's filled with feeling, feeling regarding this. So, uh, those of you who are here this morning, the point of this weekend is that the Lord said in John 15, 4, abide in me so that, so that I can abide in you. And that, to abide in him, abide in me, to abide in him, is to remain in him. To stay in him. To dwell in him. Indicating he wants his, his, his involvement with you. With joyous, intended, romantic dialogue to be uninterrupted, uninterfered with, unimpeded, and unending. This is what he has for us, saints. This is what he has for us. So, on our outline this morning, we have another set of uh, applications. We'll find that you see, you see John 15, 4, all through the New Testament. All through the New Testament, it becomes a principle, a governing principle in the entire New Testament. And so, um, let us proceed then to our outline. Uh, the message title is, once again, Abiding in Christ to Maintain 
are experienced and sensed and registered organic union with him. Roman number one says, we abide in Christ so that he may abide in us by our switching on the law of the spirit of life. So, in the entire New Testament, a particular chapter in the entire New Testament is Romans chapter 8, which shows us from the view of the heavens all that God intends for us. And at the beginning of this marvelous chapter, there's a signpost. As if you were driving into Irving, and the sign says, Welcome to Irving, Texas. As we enter into God, there's a sign saying, Welcome, as described in Romans chapter 8, Welcome to the territory of the law of the Spirit of life. So in Romans 8, everything that's in there describes this lovely place, this lovely territory that can be described as the law of the spirit of life. Everything is the result of and modifies this topic sentence of Romans chapter 8. It's all about the law of the spirit of life. Now we know that the law of the spirit of life is the innate operating principle of God himself within us to imply to apply himself to our entire being, spirit, soul, and body, until we are fully transformed and become the sons of God, ready to be glorified. So, so this, um, this marvelous uh, law, this innate operating principle, will do this for us, because it's automatic, we'll do this in a spontaneously, am I right? No. It does not. It does not do this spontaneously. It is a conditional law. It is a conditional law. And this law has to be switched on. Now those of us who are familiar with this terminology the switching on of the electricity of the law of the spirit of life, uh, realize that the way we switch on is that we call on him, speak to him, touch him. And as we touch him, he's released within us as this interoperating law. This law has been switched on by us. Now, the revelation here in this point is that if you really want to know the law of the spirit of life, you can only have a preliminary and initial knowing of this law if to you this law is that I want this law to operate, so I will contact the Lord, call on him, switch on. Again, this takes us a certain distance. It's wonderful that the law operates when we call upon him. But here's 
the life-changing revelation. The law of the spirit of life is in Christ Jesus. As the law of gravity operates within an atmosphere of the atmosphere surrounding the earth, and as the law of physics apply within that atmosphere and not outside of it, so also, so also, the law of the spirit of life operates in a certain enclosed realm. And that realm in which the law of the spirit of life operates is in Christ Jesus. And this Christ Jesus, we saw yesterday in 2 Corinthians 3.17, is now the Spirit. And as the Spirit, he has become pneumatized. So he is now the pneumatic Christ. He is Christ as the Spirit. And as the Spirit, he's no longer confined, but he is vast and even, according to Ephesians 3.18, dimensionless. When you enter into the universe of the pneumatized Christ Jesus, the universe of the consummated spirit, within there, you find something marvelous happens. And that is, there's a law that operates in here. It's the law of the spirit of life. And now it's spontaneous. Now, now it's spontaneous. Now it's spontaneous. So, on one hand, you can make this law operative by finding the switch and occasionally touching it. Or you can, John 15, 4, you can abide in him. And the law of the spirit of life operates continuously, incessantly, and prevailingly. And you don't have to do anything. So, John 54, to abide in him is, in the revelation of this outline, is to switch on. We switch on by entering into him to abide in him. Hallelujah. Now, just consider... You're at home, and there's a switch that operates the lights that you're, of the room that you're in. But in the decoration of the room, there are some curtains, and the curtains cover the light switch. And so you're in the room, and you need the light to go on, and you know there's got to be a light switch somewhere, but you don't, you don't see it. Where is it? Where is it? Well, that was our, before we came into the church life, that was our situation. We didn't know where the switch was, and so we could never switch on. Hallelujah. Now we know that there's a switch in our mingled spirit, and we can switch on by calling on him. Praise the Lord. But, but, we're still a little bit like someone sitting in a room, and the switch is behind the curtain. It's out of sight. So we don't see the switch all the time. So what happens? Our awareness of the switch weakens. And we don't operate it that much. 
So if you get my illustration, the Lord's waiting there as this installed law, but he's there as potential, in a sense. Because in the busyness of our daily life, we forget that the switch is there. It's somewhat hidden within us. But listen to this. When we abide in him, when we enter into him, his intention is that there would be switches everywhere. (laughs) So now you're in the room, now you're in the room, and it's not just that there's a switch behind the curtain. There's a switch by the door, and a switch on the other side of the door. And there's a switch in the mid-wall, there's a switch a little further down, there's a switch on this wall. There's switches everywhere. You can't, you can't miss the switch. You can't look anywhere in the room and not see the switch. It's everywhere. So there's no problem in switching on. You're reminded to switch on. So this is the life of abiding in Him. You abide in Him and you realize that you are sustained now in His supporting arms. You are in a realm of the Spirit. You're, you're, you're there. And remember from yesterday, the various articles, objects, situations, and persons that you're encountering in your daily life correspond to experiences that you can have and should have with him in the realm that he is. So, that flat tire is a switch. That red light is a switch. Is a, is a switch. That um, uh, indication from your employer that you have to work overtime is a switch. In other words, he wants you to be in himself, abiding in him, in Christ Jesus, where the law of the spirit of life operates. And then it works in you spontaneously and carries out Romans chapter 8. I hope you like this. So, notice, notice that uh, the second verse here is Romans 8.4. So, as we abide in him and find ourselves within him, then, don't you think Romans 8.4 specifically links to uh, John 15.4? It's been said that the entire New Testament can be summarized in Romans 8.4. Walk according to the Spirit. Now, to walk according to the Spirit implies that we're we're in Him, we're with a view to abiding in Him, and in Him we're walking around. We're walking according to the Spirit, in Him who is the Spirit. What else could walk, walk according to the Spirit mean? It means that we're in Him as the Spirit in our walk. And we walk according to the Spirit, and as we do so, we fulfill the New Testament revelation. Now, point A says, the Lord abiding in us and our abiding in Him are altogether a matter of His being the life-giving Spirit in our spirit. This, of course, is the switch. And is the portal of entry into the realm of the Spirit where we abide. I repeat. The spirit with our spirit is the portal of entry and the contact point whereby we enter into the spirit where we abide. 
by the bountiful, immeasurable Spirit in our spirit. Oh, hallelujah. The bountiful, immeasurable Spirit in our spirit. So we come to our spirit and we enter into the bountiful, immeasurable Spirit. John 3.34, He who speaks the Word of God and gives the Spirit, gives the Spirit by His Word, gives the Spirit to you without measure. And so through our Spirit, we contact the Spirit who is immeasurable, step into Him, and abide in Him as the tree of life. And here, we have the full assurance that we and God are one and that we abide in one another. So this, of course, is 1 John 3.24 and 4.13. Wonderful. Now, point B. The way to abide in Christ as the empowering one. Oh, my goodness. This is so rich. The way to abide in Christ as the empowering one so that he may be activated within us as the interoperating God, the law of the spirit of life, is by rejoicing always, praying unceasingly, and giving thanks in everything. My, what a full point. So, what is the interoperating God? The interoperating God is the law of the spirit of life within us. How is the interoperating God as the law of spirit of life within us? It is according to Philippians 4, 12, and 13 that we are in Christ Jesus who empowers us. This verse says, I can do all things in Jesus Christ who empowers me. So this pair of verses, Philippians 4.13 and uh, Philippians 2, no, yeah, and Philippians 2.13 together equal John 15.4a. Philippians 4.13 is abide in me. Philippians 2.13 is I abide in you. And by abiding in him so he abides in us, he's released as the interoperating God, as the law of the spirit of life, and there in him that we can do everything, all things, in him who empowers us. Amen. Hallelujah! Amen. So to access this again, we just have to have the realization, Lord, today I am living in you. I want to live within you and enjoy the living and abiding that you had with the Father in glory in eternity past, according to John uh, 17, 24. Now, John 4, 13 says, I can do all things in him who empowers me. So, here we have, here we have these uh, wonderful verses. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Oh, always rejoice. Unceasingly pray. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So, as we said last night, um, these are in the imperative mood, indicating that they're commands. We need to do this. We need to rejoice always. Unceasingly pray. In everything give thanks. So, these are secrets that when we really rejoice, when we really give thanks 
in Him, in His name. When we pray, this connects us with our spirit. Transfers us through the immeasurable spirit to live in Him as the spirit and abide in Him as the tree of life. And there, we can do all things in Him who empowers us. And then the interoperating God works within us, releases the law of the spirit of life within us, and enriches our entire being. So, um, we'll have a little bit more uh, coming up regarding um, Philippians, uh, I'm sorry, First uh, Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 in, in just a moment. Now, we should realize that in Colossians 3.17, when it says, whatever you do, whatever you do, in word or in deed, you do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, what is the name of the Lord Jesus? The name of the Lord Jesus refers to his person. And who is the person of the Lord Jesus? The Spirit. And who is the Spirit? The one in whom we're abiding. So as we're abiding in Him, we can do everything in Him, in the name of our Lord Jesus, giving thanks. Giving thanks. But especially in this context, these key phrases are to, to help us with practical ways for us to switch on and to contact him, and to step into himself to abide in him. So, he would like to make this very, very practical to us. Not abstract. Not abstract. Simple in practice. Elegant. Elegantly simple in practice. Point two. We abide in Christ so that he may abide in us by taking him in his ascension. Taking him in his ascension as our secret place to be our refuge, our hiding place, our high tower, our fortress, our high retreat, in our spirit to protect us from all the attacks of the enemy. So, did you know that also, also, um, other equivalent verses to uh, uh, John 15, 4a <clears throat> include Colossians 3, 1 and 2. So for us to Abide in Him. The practical way for us to do that is for us to seek the things which are above where Christ is seated, of course referring to His ascension. This equals abide in Me. Setting our mind on the things which are are above, not on the things which are on the earth. So this is for us to abide in Him. So, now, You'll remember, of course, that in his resurrection, he became 
the expansive spirit, the immeasurable spirit in his resurrection. But in his ascension, in his ascension, he not only became ruler of the universe and Lord of all, but he, according to Ephesians 4.10, filled all things in his, in his ascension. So, this verse says, he who descended, he also is he who ascended far above all, so that he would fill all things. So how does he fill all things? He fills all things by becoming the spirit universe, who now is enterable, and into whom he asks us to enter and to abide. And he fills all things, firstly, by becoming this universe of his person, which dwarfs the size of the material universe. You know the principle here, right? That the fulfillment of a type is always greater and more full than the type itself. So since the spiritual universe that the Lord is, as the consummated spirit, is typified by the material universe, the Lord as the Spirit is more grand and expansive than the material universe is. So, in his ascension, according to Ephesians 4.10, he became this universe. Now, what's in there? He's in there. But actually, you are in there in a certain part of your being. By being regenerated in the resurrection from Jesus Christ from among the dead, 1 Peter 1.3, when he filled the universe, well, when he became this universe, he brought all of you into it in your spirit to abide there. Now, when we apply... John 15.4, we follow our implanted spirit, which is forged into this spirit universe. And we enter into this universe to fill it. We fill it. We populate it. And in this way, according to Ephesians 4.10, he fills all things. He wants you not to be outside of himself as this universe. He wants you to come into and live in this universe. Oh. Saints, what a life we have. What a calling we have. Marvelous. So, when we do that, when we abide in him according to this point, we have, as we also mentioned yesterday, we have a particular solace, a particular kind of protection. We've, entered, we've migrated into the most sound and high security uh, country that there could be. So this country, 
in this country, this country can be, in this country, uh, we have the reality of the Lord as our shield and buckler. That means our offensive weapon, our hiding place, our shelter, our refuge, our high retreat. And then according to John 14.30, we have, we hold our being in a stance and in a place where the evil one cannot touch us. So John 14.30, in me, in me, this one who now is this inclusive and including spirit in which we're abiding, in me he has nothing. In me, he has nothing. So as we abide in him, we switch on and activate the law of life. We're empowered. We're empowered to do all things, all things in him. We find that we're protected from the enemy. We're fulfilling, we're, we're filling the universe that the Lord has intended to uh, develop into the new heaven and new earth. All this is by our abiding. Now, one point we covered yesterday, for those of you who are new with us, is that the way for us to abide is to realize that we're abiding. And to care that we're abiding. For it to mean something to us. Then as we have consciousness that we're abiding, we experience abiding. Just as someone who would migrate to this country from... Where? Migrate from France. Migrate to this country from France. Uh, will behave one way if he thinks he's in France. But when he realizes he's in the United States, he behaves a different way. And of course, to fully apply this, this, this uh, metaphor, this example, uh, because this Frenchman knows he's in the United States, he's eligible for all kinds of benefits that other Frenchmen are not eligible for. So it's when we're aware that we're living in Christ. When we're aware that every single person, matter, and thing that we touch is a switch with and in which we contact the Lord to switch on the law of the Spirit of life, it's when we realize this that this becomes ours. Okay, now let's go on to Roman number three. <clears throat> we abide in Christ so that he may abide in us by, uh, so we're back here to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, by rejoicing always, praying unceasingly, giving thanks in everything. This is the will of God concerning us, and this is the way that we do not quench the Spirit. In addition to not quenching the Spirit, we should not grieve the Spirit in our daily living. So, remember when Bobby and Don were here? What if, uh, what if Bobby opened his heart to Don and Don just, uh, just stands there? Worse yet, she kind of walks away. <laughs> Bobby, oh, that would be painful, right? So, 
Maybe some of you have experienced that. <laughs> anyway, anyway, uh, we don't want to grieve the Spirit. We don't want to grieve the Lord. And the way for us to not grieve the Lord is for us to abide in Him. Oh, how, these points are so wonderful. The way for us to not grieve the Lord and to not quench the Spirit are for us to abide in Him. Now, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 19, wonderful verses, wonderful verses. Always rejoice. Okay, dear saints, dear saints, this is an imperative, it's in the Bible, it's a verse in the Bible, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, always rejoice, okay, no saints, always rejoice. Now, I could, I could ask you to rejoice right now, and you would, um, but I'm not sure how long you'd be able to keep rejoicing. So, if I command you, or I uh, admonish you, always rejoice, is that worthwhile? Is that worth doing? It's a verse in the Bible. Can you do it? Will you do it? No. You won't always rejoice. You'll walk out the door of the meeting hall after the meeting, and you'll have a flat tire, and you'll forget about always rejoicing, or, or you'll just see someone that you know, and you'll get out of the frame. So, this is our situation. What do we do about this? There's a standard in the Word. We should always rejoice. We should give thanks in everything. We should unceasingly pray. How are we going to do that? Now, is this a formality? Where, okay, we're persons where, okay, today from 8 o'clock p.m. to 10 o'clock, 8 o'clock a.m. to 10 o'clock p.m., I'm going to rejoice, rejoice. No, it's not a formality. Nor is it merely a formula. Now, in the previous point, in the previous point, it's somewhat as a formula. In what way? In the way that if you want to switch on the law of life, if you want to find yourself in Christ Jesus who empowers you in all things and you can do all things, yes, if you rejoice genuinely, not just as a, as a maneuver, but if you rejoice genuinely, yes, you'll be there. But this is somewhat a formula. But this does not equal always rejoicing. So is this a vain word in the Bible? So how do we do this? Where does this come from? Saints, it comes from John 15, 4. When we abide in Him, and we find ourselves within Him, and we realize we're within Him, and we sense, as, as we said yesterday, we sense, I'm privileged royalty here. Furthermore, I'm betrothed here. Furthermore, I'm satisfied here. And we just, we just rejoice. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! 
And when we have this seeing, this consciousness, this realization, we don't try to rejoice. The rejoicing just wells up and comes out. So what is always rejoicing? Always giving thanks? Always praying? What it is, it's our application of John 15, 4, stepping into Him, abiding in Him, remaining in Him. And this is what the Lord has for us. Saints, the practicality here is absolutely within our grasp. The Lord is full of intention that we would experience this. Not just observe it in the Word and say, oh, that's an amazing verse. That's a wonderful revelation there. No, he wants, he expects us to arrive at this. Here's an illustration. An Old Testament Jew. Outside the tabernacle. Looks at it. And sees, well, you know, there's some linen. Then there's badger skin. Rough, coarse, hairy. Not attractive. That's how we are when we simply are, as believers, who realize he's the tree of life, to be food to us, to supply us. We enjoy him, we appreciate him. It's like we're standing outside observing him. But when, according to John 15, 4, we say, Lord, I touch you with a view to enter into you, to live in you, then we enter into the tabernacling God and we see Him from inside. And we see the gold, the silver, the Shekinah shining glory, the purple, red, and scar- purple, scarlet, and blue strands. And we're captivated. And we say, <gasps> spontaneously we gasp because it's so amazingly, inspiringly beautiful. This is the rejoicing that's released spontaneously from within us as we step in to live within him, as indicated by John 15.4. And then we stay there, abiding in him. My. Praise the Lord. Wonderful. So, um, notably here, Brother... (laughs) Brother Ed uses Psalm 45, uh, verses 5, 8, and 11. And um, here, you know, he's talking about uh, not quenching the Spirit. So, <clears throat> we're familiar with the fact that in John, I'm, I'm, Psalm 40, 45, 2, it says, the salvation of his countenance. This means... When we touch the Lord and we behold Him face to face, His countenance saves us. The salvation of His countenance saves us as we we behold Him. And then in verse verse, uh, 11, His countenance, as you know then, that we view, becomes the salvation of our countenance. Because viewing his countenance and being infused by his outray, our countenance 
is changed and released and, and beaming. But the other side of this, saints, in, in Psalm 45.2, the salvation of his countenance is when we enter into him to abide in him, we not only receive salvation by beholding him and, and receiving his outray, but by entering into him, we don't grieve him and we save his countenance. So the salvation of his countenance here is the result. It's not only on our side we getting saved, but by entering into him to abide in him, he's happy, and the salvation of his countenance refers to his countenance getting saved. His countenance is not downcast. His countenance is not disappointed. Why? Because we entered into him to abide in him according to his desire. Now, point four says uh, we abide in Christ so that he may abide in us by abiding in his love. So, this territory, this realm of the consummated spirit into which we already have location, already have residence through our spirit, but our, the rest of our being is often outside, For us to have the incentive to move inside and to live there, to abide there, the Lord wants to make this as attractive as possible. So I hope if you attended the first two meetings, some of the applications caused this place to seem delightful to you, attractive to you, drawing to you, captivating to you, I hope. Well, here's another, another go. Here's another go at this. To abide in him, according to John 15, 4, is to abide in his love. John 15, 10, if you hear, if you obey my commandment, my word spoken within you by the anointing, if you obey that, what you'll do is you'll enter into me to abide in me. And when you do, when you do that, what are you doing? You are abiding in the territory, in the embodiment, and the condensation of me as love. You're abiding in the divine love. Now, are you going to choose to abide outside or inside the sphere of the divine love? Don't you want to be in the divine love? So in the reference verses here in John, John 21, the Lord says to Peter, and he say to you, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Lord, I know that you love me. Then, the next verse, John 15, 10. If you know, if you, if you love me, abide in me. If you don't abide in me, you don't love me. If you do love me, show it. Abide in me. And when you enter into me to abide in me, where you're abiding is you're abiding in my love, in me as love, in the sphere and the territory of embodied and condensed palpable love. My. So I hope this is an incentive 
We could say this is the supreme incentive. Point A says, all the commandments are summarized in these two. To believe in the name of God's Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another. So, in the Roman numeral point, if we love him, we enter into him to abide in him. And then, that happened first when we believed. That was the first commandment. Second commandment is that you need to love one another. Now, saints in the church in Irving. How about it? How much feeling? How much caring? How much uh, urgent prayer do you have for one another? Of course we love one another. But we have to acknowledge. Sometimes we find our feeling dull related to the saints. We hear something and not much reaction, not much response, whether something positive or something not, or, or, or a loss of some kind. And we just hate and condemn the dullness that's within us, the, inactiv- the, the, the lack of reactivity. Why wouldn't I care more? Well, the problem is that in our human makeup, we don't have the capacity to care more. And where do we have the capacity to care more? Through the love which he has in us. But remember, from first John, the love that he has in us, he has as a result of our abiding in him. So here's the sequence. And you have the verses here in, in first John, chapters three and four. That we abide in him. John 15:10, we abide in his love. As we abide in his love, we have his love as our capital, as our feeling, our spontaneous feeling, we spontaneously love the brothers. So how will we fulfill the second commandment to love one another? We have to abide in him. The partial and defective and and in and out kind of caring that we have for the saints and the love that we have is matches the general pattern of our experience of the Lord. Up and down, up and down. We touch him, we have it. We don't touch him, we don't have it. Well, the Lord would like to bring us, rescue us out of this inconsistency into a living in which we love the brothers. And the answer to this, the key to this, is first is John 15, for abide in me. And then I will abide in you as love, and you can love the brothers. So point B says, the commandment regarding brotherly love in both the, is both old and new. Old, because the believers had it from the beginning of their Christian life. New, because in their Christian walk, it dawns with new light. And, and shines with new enlightenment and fresh power again and again. So in 1 John 2, 7 and 8, it says that this commandment that you had from the beginning, that you love one another, is old, but it's new because you're hearing it again. And how do you hear it again? If you read the previous verse, I believe it's verse 6, it again refers to abiding in Him. 
So by abiding in Him, we have the commandment. Love the brothers. And it becomes new and sensed and registered newly as we abide in Him. So it shines with new light, new invigoring. In point C, which is uh, 1 John 4, 16 and 17, indicates that it's our abiding in Him that gives us boldness at His coming. So our abiding in Him is linked to His return and to our situation at His return. So it says, we know and have believed the love which God has in us. And the love which He has in us is through our abiding in Him. God is love. He who abides, he who abides in love abides in God. So as we abide in Him, we abide in God as love. And God abides in Him. In this has love been perfected in us, with us, that we may have boldness in the day of the judgment, because even as He is, we also are in the world. We become His reflection, His representation, His replication in our daily living, because as we're abiding in Him, we abide in His love, we have His love within us, and we're able to love others as He did. As we live this way, we have boldness at His coming. So the subpoints to abide in love is to love others habitually with the love that is God Himself, so that He may be expressed in us. Boldness here is for us to face the judgment at the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.10 Point three, Christ lived in the world a life of God as love. And now, and He is now our life, that we may live the same life of love in this world and be the same as He is. Another spontaneous result of our abiding in Him. Oh, saints, this is what He has for us. Now, uh, we'll conclude here. Uh, We'll conclude here with this uh, final point. To abide in Christ, taking Him as our dwelling place, And to allow him to abide in us, taking us as his dwelling place, are to live in the reality of the universal incorporation of the process and consummated triune God and the redeemed and regenerated believers. My. So, John 15, 4 is a direct, con- a direct continuation of John, f- John chapter 14. So the Lord being, being the vine, the tree of life, in John 1, and asking us to abide in him as his branches, in John 15, 4, is a direct connection of the fact that in John chapter 14, he is bringing us, making a place for us, in God the Father. And we have the experience, as we mentioned yesterday, from the time of our regeneration, but now fulfilled in the principle of our regeneration, that now we know 
we know. That He is in the Father, we are in Him, and He is in us. And so, uh, saints, this experience of the divine and human incorporation, uh, this experience is ours through the vision of the tree of life being not only for our inward supply, having come into us, but for us to come into him to live and dwell in him. So I, I, maybe I won't go through uh, the verses again since uh, we, we have uh, touched on them already. already. But saints, um, uh, this... Uh, view of desiring to endeavor to enter into God causes us to be a unique people. Causes us to be a people of faith. Causes us to be people in the principle of Hebrews chapter 11 who as with Abraham as with Abraham followed God, not knowing where he was going, but realizing that what God had for him was to cause him to be a citizen, a heavenly citizen of a city that was upcoming, whose very foundations are God himself. The city, which is God himself. And he had there his citizenship. And so it says there, Abraham and those other, those others who were listed there, they were in the world wandering in worldly situations all the time with a heavenly citizenship. All the time as Abraham viewing, I'm entering in, I'm entering in, I'm entering in. Not just ultimately one day, but in their life and living on the earth, they were entering in, entering in. So, in uh, Hebrews 11.16, there's a very striking verse. It says, Regarding Abraham, and regarding those who sought to enter into God as their city, and realized that their citizenship was there, he said, he said regarding them, He is not ashamed. to be called their God. Showing the sense that, again, again the sense, the feeling that he has about this. He's prepared this. He's prepared himself as our dwelling, as our realm in which to live. Is prepared for us. What does it mean to us? Again, we want to be a virtuous dawn responding to Bobby. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. If we respond this way, if we respond this way, He's our God. If we don't respond this way, according to Hebrews eleven sixteen, there's a certain sense, at least, a certain sense, in le- at least, in which He feels, I'm kind of sad to be their God. I'm kind of let down to be their God. I wish it could be different. 
Wish it could be different. So, uh, sub-point A here says, <clears throat> the New Jerusalem, the New Jerusalem Amen. is the ultimate incorporation of the processed and consummated triune God with the regenerated, sanctified, renewed, transformed, conformed, and glorified tripartite church. So the new Jerusalem, the ultimate consummation, is the full experience of the incorporation revealed in John chapter 14 in which we have fully entered. So when we abide in Him, saints, as heavenly citizens, we have entered into the new Jerusalem. We have become the new, we are, we are in the new Jerusalem. And so, our brother has said that the new Jerusalem is the eternal consummation and fulfillment of John 15.4a. Abide in me, and I in you, and its ultimate fulfillment is the new Jerusalem in which we have the full experience of what we have today by abiding in him, experiencing this marvelous matter of having such an intimate relationship with him where as persons we dwell in him and he as a result dwells in us. This is the ultimate experience of the tree of life. Now, um, point B <clears throat> says, the new Jerusalem is the tabernacle of God. Hallelujah. The new Jerusalem is the tabernacle of God, and the center of the tabernacle is Christ. Christ as the hidden manna. The way to be incorporated into this universal divine incorporation, the mutual abode of God and man, is to eat Christ as the hidden manna. So, dear saints, do you know what the hidden manna is? The hidden manna is Christ as the tree of life experienced in the most intimate and deep way. So the way we experience Christ as the hidden manna is we enter into him to abide in him, we stay in him, and then the very, the very one who we, we've entered into as the ones grafted into him as the tree of life, this very one becomes the hidden manna to us. So the basis for our saying this is uh, we have the tree of life in Genesis 2.9. This tree of life was food for man, and man was to partake of this food. In Exodus chapter 16, God's people needed to be fed by him, and so he rained manna from the heavens. Now, that was God as food. Many miraculous things about the manna that showed that it was actually God as food. Now, so how many time, how many kinds of food does God have for his people? How many? One. So the manna in Exodus chapter 16 is the tree of life in Genesis chapter 2. So the hidden manna, the hidden manna in Revelation 2.17 is the tree of life in Revelation 2.7. 
So in Revelation chapter 2, we have the pathway of the overcomer. Would you like to review the pathway of the overcomer? Okay, here's the pathway of the overcomer. Overcomer, uh, uh, Revelation 2.4 refers to a sad situation where some had left their first love. So we don't do that, right? So we hold the Lord as our first love. We love him preeminently and above all. So three verses later, he says, the Lord himself says, as the Spirit says, he says, okay, if you, if you keep me as your first love, you will enjoy me as the tree of life in the paradise of God. So the reward for loving him in 2.4 is enjoying him as the tree of life in 2.7 in the paradise of God, which, of course, is ultimately the new Jerusalem. Then in 2.17... It says, it says, to him who overcomes, I will give to him to eat of the hidden manna in the golden pot and a white stone on which a new name is written. And so that hidden manna, that hidden manna is what? That hidden manna is Christ as the tree of life experienced even more intimately by abiding more deeply in him. So, so what happens? You know, in the tabernacle, you had the holiest of all. So the holiest of all is our spirit. So, in our experience, in our experience, we come to our spirit, that's our coming to the holiest place of the tabernacle. Then within the holiest, within the holiest place, you remember that there was the ark. And the ark, of course, signifies Christ. So when we come into our spirit as the holiest of all, we then have the opportunity to enter into Christ as the ark and abide in him. As we enter into Christ to abide in him, we find that we're not only there alone in Christ there, but we're, we find God the Father there. And so we enter into God the Father, into his bosom, into his inner being, and inside there we find Christ as our food. So our abiding goes deeper and deeper. First we abide entering into him as the enterable God, entering the tabernacle. As we do, as we go further, as our spirit, we enter into him as the holiest of all, enter into him as the ark, enter into the Father as the golden pot, and then enjoy him as the tree of life, as the hidden manna within the golden pot. This is the reward and the calling for us as overcomers to abide in him so he can abide in us and go more and more and more deeply into him. So, dear saints, uh, let's, uh, let's, we'll just conclude here. Um, oh, I do, I do need to tell, I do need to refer to, in the New Jerusalem, remember, uh, a favorite verse regarding the New Jerusalem is its first Introductory verse in, in Revelation 21, 21 verse 2, where the new Jerusalem descends as the bride of the Lamb out of God. So how is the new Jerusalem prepared and where is it prepared? It's prepared within God. And as we're within God, we're prepared to be the bride of the Lamb, eventually the new Jerusalem, and then 
we will emerge from God in oneness with Him as the New Jerusalem. Enthralling, magnificent, wonderful. Praise you, Lord. Amen. Now, <clears throat> what we've covered, uh, dear saints, this weekend, this aspect of the tree of life, the governing principle of John 15, 4, where we enter into him to abide in him, releasing all that he is as the tree of life in continuity, as opposed to sporadic experience. The difference here is now we experience him in continuity, versus sporadic experience. Now, as we, have this, as we have this experience, we are tasting what Brother Lee called living in the divine and mystical realm of the consummated spirit. So 22 years ago, when Brother Lee was approaching the end of his life, prominent in his final words to us, were the identification of such a thing as the divine and mystical realm of the consummated spirit and an urging first to the leading brothers and then to all the saints, don't stay where you are. You need to go higher. You need to be in a higher realm than the realm you're in now. You need to fully enter into this realm. So saints, this weekend, we hope our prayer is that what we've considered here in John 15, 4a is in the principle of our not only knowing that there's such a realm, but our aspiring to live in this realm and entering into it. Amen. So, uh, hallelujah. Amen. We thank the Lord for being with us. And may we be those who populate, frequent, not no, not frequent, remain, Amen. stay in this realm. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord, saints. Uh, for the next 20 minutes or so, we uh, will have the mics here as before. And last night, it seemed like the piano helping us out for uh, two minutes per person at the most helped a lot. So please be bold.